everyone. Welcome to episode 78 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So we're back again for another week. This week we're going to do our usual roundup of vulnerability fixes in Ubuntu from the past week. Uh, we've got a bunch to cover. In particular, we've had updates for the kernel and Intel microcode. Uh, there was some new Intel side channel attacks that were, uh, I guess, went public this week. So they were to cover some of that. Plus, we had updates for uh, FreeRDP, Firefox, uh, and GNU TLS as well, to name a few. And then Joe and I are going to have a chat about uh, threat modeling and how we do that at Canonical and, I guess, the standard methodology that we follow there and why we think it's useful as well. All right, so let's just get into it. So uh, this week, there were 39 unique CVEs that were addressed by the Ubuntu security team. First up, we had an update for the Django. Uh, this was for our uh, 1404 extended security maintenance customers. Uh, so two CVEs were fixed for uh, yeah, trusty ESM. I talked about both of these last week in episode 77. And as a side note, uh, trusty ESM is actually available uh, free for personal use as well on a number of machines. So yeah, if you are still running uh, Ubuntu 14.04 instances and you would like security support, I urge you to check that out. Uh, then uh, we had an update for free RDP. This was for uh, free RDP version one in uh, Ubuntu Xenial uh, Xerus or 16.04 long-term support. Uh, last week I covered a, an update that we did for free RDP in our later Ubuntu releases. That's 18.04 and 20.04 long-term support and 19.10. So, and that was for really free RDP 2, the, the kind of newer version of free RDP. Uh, so we've sort of done similar updates now for free RDP 1, say back in Ubuntu 16.04 long-term support. And so this covers of almost all the same issues, uh, bar a few that weren't relevant then. Yeah, so if you want to know more about that, uh, have a listen back to episode 77. We then had an update for Firefox. Uh, as usual, just want to shout out to the desktop team for uh, the heavy lifting on this one. Uh, so there were eight different CVs that were addressed in this. Uh, for uh, Ubuntu 16.04, 18.04, 20.04, long-term support for all of those, and Ubuntu 19.10. Uh, this was updating to the latest upstream Firefox version 77.0.1. Uh, there was uh, eight different CVEs that were fixed in this. Uh, most of these are your kind of usual web, uh, I guess, web-style vulnerabilities where it's, you know, you visit a malicious website and then the attacker can potentially execute arbitrary code or you know, read cookies or whatever it is that, you know, that can bypass uh, site security policy, that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, if you are a Firefox user, I urge you to update if you haven't already. We then had an update for GNU TLS. This was for uh, in Ubuntu 19.10 and 20.04 uh, long-term support. So the, I guess, later um, supported versions of GNU TLS. It was a high priority vulnerability and I want to uh, do a shout out to Mark Delorio from our team for pushing this out on a Friday. As a rule, we don't usually push security updates out on a Friday because then it means if there are potentially regressions or whatnot, there's not usually someone around on the weekend to have to deal with them. Uh, and so you know, that's not great for uh, our customers and our users. So we like to do them on uh, you know, Monday to Thursday. So that gives us at least Friday to deal with any possible regressions that may come up. Uh, but in this case, uh, it was deemed that quite a high profile vulnerability. And that was because it could allow a potential, you know, an attacker in the middle to decrypt uh, sessions. So in this case, for, uh, I guess, the older TLS versions 1.3 and 1.2, uh, for 1.3, yeah, it could enable someone to essentially, um, you know, be in the middle of your, uh, your session by essentially forcing you to, uh, or when you do resume a session with a server to then kind of interpose on that. And uh, TLS 1.2, though, however, it allowed uh, possible passive decryption of you know, past captures and that kind of thing. 
So yeah, definitely something that if you are using uh, client applications with GNU TLS, you would have wanted to update for this, uh, particularly if you're on one of those uh, later supported versions of Ubuntu. Uh, we then had an update for libjpeg turbo uh, this is jpeg library obviously and uh, there was just one cv here that was fixed uh, but going all the way back to 1204 extended security maintenance and all the releases in between uh, there was a heat buffer overread uh, that could be triggered through a crafted uh, ppm file so in that case uh, because it's an overread you could potentially you know expose memory that uh, wasn't meant to be uh, exposed so you know an information disclosure or maybe a crash if it can uh, be outside the mapped memory regions Okay, so that brings us to, I guess, some of the uh, more high-profile vulnerabilities of the week, uh, which was the latest uh, Intel speculative execution side-channel attacks. Uh, the biggest one of these uh, was dubbed uh, Special Registered Buffer Data Sampling, or SRBDS, uh, also known as Crosstalk by the researchers that discovered this, and this had uh, about a 20-month embargo on it, uh, so Intel have known about it for quite a long time, and it's taken uh, quite a while, I guess, to get a comprehensive fix for that. So uh, this affected, uh, in particular for Linux users, uh, primarily the RDRAND and RDC instructions. So these are used for um, like for doing crypto, in particular, or sorry, for doing random number generation, shall I say, which is then often used for secrets in crypto operations. Uh, but it was also impacting SGX as well. However, uh, in Ubuntu, we don't really enable SGX support, so uh, not as relevant. But as I say, yeah, so it does affect RDRAND and RDC. The idea being that um, there is this microarchitectural buffer uh, in the CPUs that is shared between the CPU cores, and that when you you know do the RDRAND or RDC instructions, uh, old values can potentially be left behind in that buffer, and then that means another CPU thread can use the usual style of speculative execution attacks to infer what the value is that other uh, CPUs have left behind. So what it really allows is that you know, potentially one process could infer RDRAND or RDC values from another process. Now, um, this isn't necessarily as bad as it seems. As I say, even though those things can be used for random number generation that's used in cryptographic operations, uh, in particular for uh, things like devrandom or devuRandom in the kernel, it can take RDRAND uh, as an input to that, but it then mixes that with other entropy sources. So, uh, you know, you aren't directly, and then you know, an application will use, say, devuRandom, and it will get its random numbers from that. So it's not directly sampling, you know, RDRAND. However, if you are an application that is directly sampling RDRAND, you are perhaps more impacted by this kind of vulnerability. And so the fix for this was um, a primarily a microcode update. So what that does is it means that uh, when uh, the you know, CPU goes to execute these, it will first clear those that shared buffer. And that has a performance decrease because it has to synchronize that across multiple CPU cores. Uh, and so what we've then done is the kernel then has a... Um, boot option available that you can use if you need to, to disable that mitigation. Uh, so yeah, if you are finding uh, your workloads or whatnot are impacted by this uh, microcode update, you can disable that if you think that is uh, warranted in your situation. Okay, so that brings us to kernel updates then. So uh, as I said, the primary one here that was fixed across all our supported kernels was this SRBDS um, mitigation option. Uh, we then had um, a, uh, an issue fixed in the F2FS file system, which could uh, or, or would fail to check bounds on extended attribute op operations, could result in an out-of-bounds read, so you know an information leak or maybe a crash. Uh, there was a USB scatter-gather user after free, so a malicious USB device could trigger that. So if you have a, you know, an untrusted user plugging things into your USB ports, they could potentially trigger this, and it could result in possible uh, root code execution. 
And finally, there was um, the XDP socket implementation failed to validate user space metadata. So uh, user space could provide, you know, data to it, it would then do an out of bounds write. And so you could get, you know, possible code execution from that. However, it does require cap net admin, which, you know, is roughly equivalent to, well, particularly it's equivalent to root. Uh, you normally need, you know, root to be able to essentially have cap net admin, although some utilities do use cap net admin. I think things like ping nowadays has that, so it's not set UID root. But anyway, yeah, so they were fixed for the 5.3 kernel, and that is for Ubuntu 19.10, and is also the hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 18.04. And so similarly, uh, we updated the kernel in Ubuntu 18.04. This is the 5.0 based kernel used in uh, the GKE, the Google Cloud environment, and uh, for our OEM kernel, uh, OEM devices, should I say, uh, that had the same fixes in it. Uh, we updated the kernel in Ubuntu 20.04 long-term support, which is the 5.4 based kernel, again, with the same issues that I talked about previously. Uh, we had the kernel update in Ubuntu uh, 18.04 long-term support. This is also used as the hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 16.04 long-term support. And you can use it if you are using uh, 14.04 extended security, security maintenance in Azure. Uh, that's also used there. So it's a 4.15 based kernel. So again, the same issues that I covered previously. Plus there was uh, an issue in the IPsec um, driver when uh, it would fail to encrypt certain IPv6 traffic. So you could get you know, potentially unencrypted traffic being sent out that should have been encrypted and as a result, an information leak. Uh, we also updated the kernel in Ubuntu 16.04 long-term support, which again is used as the hardware enablement kernel in Ubuntu 14.04 ESM. Uh, all those same issues were updated there. And finally, we updated the kernel itself in uh, Ubuntu 14.04 ESM, which is the 3.13 based kernel. And that's also used as uh, the kernel back in 12.04 ESM as well now. Uh, so yeah, uh, that, however, that did include one unique issue, which was a Marvel Wi-Fi uh, buffer overflow. So if you are using a Marvel Wi-Fi driver there, you are now safe from that as well. All right, that takes us to the end of this week in security updates. So now Joe and I are gonna have a chat about how we do threat modeling at Canonical. So this is kind of a common technique that we use, uh, I guess, to you know, try to analyze software products and uh, try to look at the kind of threats that uh, they may that may be applicable to them and then the kind of things that can be done to uh, remediate that as well hey alex how are you doing this week i'm doing well joe how are you doing oh, doing good enough I think uh, this week we're going to talk about threat modeling, um, sort of what a threat model is, um, which which process we use, and then um, you know, sort of what value we get out of them. Um, yeah. And since this week, I am not going to ask you about the fall of Dodge. I'm just going to say that I'm reading a, a new book uh, by uh, Craig Allenson. I don't know if you've read his Expeditionary Forces books, but they're super good. And he's got another series called Mavericks, which is in the same world. That's totally worth reading if you like sci-fi and humor and adventure, which is kind of what I like because it's not it's not dystopian sci-fi, which I need escapism right now with what's going on in the world. Yep. And uh, that's what I like. So yeah, you're right. 2020 is enough dystopia for me. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, look, we haven't seen too many book burnings, but other than that, we're going forward. Um, so uh, what is a threat model? So um, a threat model is kind of sounds like you, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's modeling the threats. But, you know, what you do is you pick an application or a process or a project and you, you look at it and think, what are the possible vectors for attack 
um, for outage? Um, what would an attacker be interested in? And use a framework for that. Apply it across your different projects. And I personally think um, threat models are best done by people inside your own organization, not by working with a vendor. Um, because then you can take the, you can and should take the attitude of we're here to help. We're here to help identify where you can focus your next engineering effort. That's not to say that you're doing something wrong now, right? If you think of a pen test, when somebody's coming in and doing a penetration test or a vulnerability test, the the results are usually presented in a way such that you're doing something incorrect, right? Yep. <laughs> like the results say, "Oh man, you've you've made a problem, uh, or you've you've messed up, and this needs to be fixed now. It's a high critical low, etc." With a threat model, you're more saying, "This is the." This is how we looked at your application. This is where we saw the vulnerabilities. And lastly, this is how we think you should prioritize how to fix them. And what I really like about them is when you're working with the uh, application developers, they're getting interested. They know it's not, for lack of a better term, adversarial. So they're providing you more information than in like a typical audit or something like that. They're being quite helpful. And then what I've found is in the following months, because you will have to th- follow up on your threat model. You know, they're not once and done. They're they're a living thing. Um, you'll just get a random email saying, we affect, we, we fixed this, this, and this. You know, that's just amazing. So that's yeah. why I like threat models. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's always good, obviously, to get the people particularly that you're working with. So if you're, you know, like in our case, you know, you're part of the security team, you're not necessarily working on the product itself and you're coming in uh, to analyze that. And even, as you said, Joe, even if you're um, from the same company, you, know, you are hopefully seen as a bit more friendly than a third-party external company coming in yeah. to look at something that developers have made. Uh, but you obviously want to keep your development teams on side because at the end of the day, you will need them to help remediate anything that you find you know, that uh, looks amiss. So yeah, I also think uh, that's a great approach to take. Yeah, and so with that, um, I find that a threat model can be a fairly lightweight process. If you hire in a consulting company, you're going to get a... I don't know, a 400-page tome with printouts of fuzzing tools and their covariate results or whatever. This is not what I want, right? This is not, if you want to do this for your own organization, there's a time and place for that, but I haven't really found that myself. So the place I'm at, at the time I'm at, I use the Stride methodology. So um, Stride uh, sort of focuses under these um, six areas, which are uh, spoofing, um, tampering, uh repudiation, information disclosure, denial of service, and elevation of privilege. So kind of break it down into each one of those things. So um, spoofing focuses on your authentication. So if you're looking at an app, so you sort of focus on where is the authentication? Is it from a web page? Is it using SSO? Is it encrypted? Are they using tokens? You know, sort of go through that model and you can dig in on questions. Um, and as a security group, if you're the security group for your organization, this is really helpful because now you're you get a better understanding of the product you're you're also protecting. So while yep. maybe the first run through of the of the threat model, you might pick up a subset of vulnerabilities. The second time you go through, you're going to know much more. Also, that group now sees you as a trusted source for help, so they're going to reach out to you um, when they've when they've discovered something or when they have a question about their code. So that's why I, I like this sort of lightweight methodology. Our reports are usually like three to five pages for a project. Um, so after spoofing, we've got tampering. So um, that's that's sort of modifying data, whether it's on disk or on the network and transit, etc. So um, 
you look at, you know, how can data be affected? Is it in a database? Are they using, I think that famous example is like what you install MySQL and anybody can log in as root, right? Yep. Without a password. So MySQL, that's you root and you're in. Um, so, you know, looking at that, um, you know, if you think about data in transit, uh, do we provide, does the app provide MD5s, you know, something like that or hashes, MD5s aren't perfect. Um, then repudiation. Um, so this is an interesting one. How do you, um, how do you provide non-repudiation? So um, how do you make sure um, that you can say the person, the action that was taken was done by that person? So yeah. usually in my mind, this goes around sort of uh, process and logs. Are you logging somewhere? What logged in user changed what? What failed attempt was logged somewhere? Um, I think it's super important when you're building your own application, something that's entirely too often um, overlooked. Recording failed privilege escalations, failed attempts, because by looking at things like that, you'll be able to discover whether or not someone's trying to do something um, malicious to your application. And most applications don't store that. So think about storing those logs somewhere and surfacing them somewhere. Um, now we're moving on to information disclosure. So that's your confidentiality. So I kind of think of your application as, do you need authentic? Do you need to be authenticated to see certain reports? Um, you know, some people will, especially, let's think of like a, a web application. People will tend to make mistakes and not check anything more than you're logged in now that you have the, app, the right to see that data. Or um, is the data served up in a web page, but we're kind of assuming, well, um, this data is available only to users who are using this app on this closed network, so it's okay that it's there. Is it really okay? You know, if you're doing an assessment, you can say, okay, you made that choice when you built the first version of it, but maybe when you're building the next version, make sure you're authenticated to see that, right? So you can kind of walk through these things. Um, and then denial of service. So, you know, we're, we're Linux people here. So like the first thing I think of when I think of denial of service is installing something like um, fail to ban or SSH guard or doing limits on your firewall rules. So is there something like that um, in your application? Um, and then elevation of privilege. So this is, uh, this is obviously uh, something everyone should should assume. Can a non-privileged user es elevate to a privileged user and perform certain actions? And how are you blocking that? Um, so that's sort of the stride methodology. What I usually walk through when I'm talking to someone is um, I used to I used to tell them you know sort of hey this, this is a threat model that's why we're using it um, and sort of a, a quick walkthrough of what stride is. Now I just kind of say we're doing stride and it. And then you start right into it. And you sort of will go back and forth. You're not going to stay bucketed in all of the different um, letters of stride. You'll go back and forth. We'll get a conversation. Um, I find that I usually like to have two conversations. So like sort of a first one where you're walking through it the first time, getting a lot of details. And then you'll both both groups will have time to think about what you've, what you've talked about. And maybe schedule a call like three or four days later and discuss it again. Um, ideally, I also like to have access to the application. So it's not just all... Um, just all just asking questions, but before you do the assessment, make sure you can set up a test version of it and poke around in it because that'll give you, um, you know, as security people, we tend to think, well, I totally attack at this spot. So you can ask, you know, ask leading questions about that. Um, and then just when you get your results, have a follow up call, present it to everybody, make the doc shareable by anybody on the team, um, and make sure it, it, you revisit it. I usually follow up again like six weeks later. And then probably after that, another six weeks, and then we just go to like check in every six months. Or if there's a new revision, that's something they've made a whole big uh, 
giant code change. Um, then I then I kind of check in on it. But this is real. I think this is this in my mind is more important than your average vulnerability or penetration test because those are mostly well an automated vulnerability or penetration test, not a, a one being performed by by highly skilled individuals. But an automated this is more this is more vulnerable than an automated test because. You're catching those things that aren't easily found. And maybe there's authentication on this app, which is preventing your tools from getting through into the deep parts to find these other problems. But because you're asking questions and you can log in and you can do things, you're getting better data. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't run your Nessus and your Qualys and your um, and your Rapid7 tools. You should totally run those. But um, this has a, a value in and of itself, too. And, and you should try them. We do them here at Canonical on all the software we write and our managed services and things like that. Um, I personally really enjoy doing them because I also get to talk to the engineers who are doing the work and they'll come back later and ask me questions and I really like that. Yeah, what I also like about it, I guess, is that it uh, is an education process too, obviously for the team doing the um, threat model. So in our case, the security team, you know, we get to actually learn about these things, but the other team get to learn, I guess, that security mindset and to um, think about that, I guess, going forward. So, you know, how do I, um, I guess, when designing a feature, how do I make sure that this isn't necessarily, say, a misfeature that could be used, you know, to attack the application or to, you know, expose user data or whatever it might be. So I think that that um, security awareness part of the process for the engineering teams is uh, pretty valuable as well because, yeah, as security people, we naturally take quite a defensive um, view of things and try to assume, you know, things will be attacked and all of that. Uh, whereas when you are building a product, you're probably more focused and probably rightly so on features. You know, how do I make sure users can do what they want to do? But um, yeah, you need to, I guess, be aware that any feature you build for a user could potentially be a misfeature or an attacker to use against <laughs> you as well. It's just depending on how, you know, how you view these things. So to have that, um, I guess, security mindset is uh, pretty valuable too. Absolutely. And I'll say this, I've, I've, I've gone into enterprises and run my scanning tools and done an audit and it was very locked down. I kind of had to come up with some things just to talk about, but I don't think I've ever done a threat model and thought, well, that was a waste of time. Every time I've done it, I've discovered something um, really important and we're getting it on the roadmap to get fixed. Sometimes you'll find something important enough, you'll, they'll actually will identify it on one of the calls. And when I do the follow-up call to present the results, the group has already fixed it, which I think yep. is really cool. That's awesome. So, yeah, so you should check out Threat Models. There is a uh, threat modeling book by, um, uh, I think, Adam Shostak. Um, I think it's just called Threat Modeling. Um, you should check that out. I found that to be a really good book when I was getting into threat modeling. Um, and it's got a chapter on, on Stride. Yeah, I recall actually that in one of our previous episodes, we asked about what books people liked. And our own Steve Beatty raised that one uh, on the uh, discourse at Ubuntu.com. So you're totally yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and then you know when you talk about threat models for uh, applications, if you want to sort of do a threat model for operational security, I highly recommend um, CERT's Resilience Management Model, the CERT RMM. You can download their book as a PDF and go through it. There's some worksheets, um, and it's a way to sort of take the threat model approach but apply it to your operational security. Where our threat models that we like stride that we do in our group are more geared toward the product, not the people behind the product. Right. Awesome. Well, thanks, Joe. Well, thanks, That's everybody. Been, yeah, super informative. Yeah. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening. And maybe next week, Alex will tell us that he's read a few more pages of the fall of Dodge. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> <laughs>
Bye, everyone. All right. Thanks, Joe. Bye. And thanks again, as always, Joe. Fantastic talking to you. Okay, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can reach us at security.ubuntu.com. We're also on IRC at, uh, free, at irc.freedo.net on the Ubuntu Harden channel if you want to come chat to us there. We'd also have the security section on discourse.ubuntu.com if you are involved in that community already. I urge you to come and uh, say hi to us there as well and create a topic of interest. And finally, you can find us on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. Uh, remember, until next time, keep calm because we've got you back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.